as it says in the video, my name is Stephen, my wife Victoria. We met in college, and um, that's just, uh, let's just say I had to work for her. She made me work for her um, in college. But yes, we are missionaries to Spain. That's some place where I like to call home. I grew up there from about six months old to about 16 years old because my dad was a missionary there. I'm what you call a furlough baby. My parents came home on furlough, had me, and then went back. So, uh, so I pretty much grew up there and then came back and finished my high school and college years here. Uh, as far as uh, going to preach, I knew I wanted, I knew that's what the Lord wanted me when I was younger. That's something that he called me to as far as to preach is concerned, as far as where, I wasn't sure. And I, I didn't initially want to go to the mission work because that's where my grandfather was, that's where my father was. So I didn't kind of, everyone almost kind of expected me to go. And I didn't want to go because everyone expected me to go. I wanted to go because God wanted me to go. So that, and that, I kind of took that to the opposite extreme. I kind of said, you know what, I'm not going to entertain that idea. So I went, I originally went to college for a pastoral degree. I wanted, my, my plans were to stay here. I had a good job, a good career path, and you know, I like staying here. I can be a youth pastor here in America, have my own career, one foot in the world, one foot in the, uh, in, in the ministry. And as you know, you can't always do that. And so God had a different plan for me. It wasn't until my junior year of college where he uh, burdened my heart again toward missions. Uh, we were at a missions conference, both my wife and I. My wife grew up in Connecticut, and she was saved when she was young, didn't really leave the country much. She had opportunity to go to Thailand on a missions trip. When she was 16, then that's where God started breeding her heart toward missions. Came to college, and we met. And we were dating at the time, and uh, missions conference comes around, and, and uh, uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was a Sunday morning, the last day of missions conference. They, they, said, they, they talked about putting your all, putting your all, and giving it to God. Uh, is, is your all on the altar, and, is, what, is what they spoke on. And that's where God started prick me and said, hey, I know you said that you didn't want to go unless I called you, but are you listening when I call you? Are you listening? And, uh, and I, in my head, I'm thinking, it's going back to Spain, it's too easy. I, I've been there, I grew up there, I know the language, I know the people. It's, it, there's, no way, and there's no way it can be that easy. There's no way. And so I, I struggled with it. And we talked a little bit about missions that day, but I, I refused. I, I just said, you know what, I need more time to pray. Well, the end of the missions conference was on Sunday. My parents came up to visit me. The next day, Monday, was with us the whole week. I didn't want to tell my dad because I know if I told my dad that I'd surrender, so I didn't tell my dad. My dad had no idea what was going on, and, and, but every single, every single conversation we had that day, I took off the week off to spend it with them, and every single conversation, missions came up, and I was getting really annoyed. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm not the one bringing it up, and he doesn't know that I'm struggling. And then it wasn't until Friday, that was actually my birthday, March 26th, um, uh, 2021, that my dad took me aside and says, you know, Stephen, there's a difference between saying, you know, I'm willing to go and saying, you know, Lord, I'll be your missionary unless you stop me. There's a difference. And uh, have you made, and without me even having to, to start it, you know, I, he, he, he asked me, he said, are you willing to go and be a missionary unless God stops you? And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, I'm not, not pressured with a decision, but you need, to get, you need to have your whole life dedicated to God if you want him to use him. So that night I, I surrendered my, my, the call to go to the mission field. I wasn't sure where at that point. I not sure when I go back to Spain, but missions was where it's at. Well, I'm dating this nice young lady up here in the front. Well, not the pastor, the, this young lady up here in the front. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, if, I've, if I'm called to go to the missionary and she's not, then we've got a problem. Something's got to happen. So Saturday morning, breakfast comes along, and I sit, I sit her down in front of me, and I said, okay, Victoria, uh, love of my life, I've got to tell you something. She says, what? I said, last night I surrendered my life to be a missionary. And she starts smiling at me. And I said, what's going on? She says, well, this past Sunday, I surrendered my life to be a missionary, and I prayed to God, and I said, okay, I'm giving him one week to surrender. I was, my time was almost up. We graduated, and, and we got married, and then my, 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 the Lord started working on my heart again about going back to Spain. Like I said, I wasn't sure. I don't know, to me, that's going home, and that there's no way. 
we hosted a missions conference at Heavenly Heights this past year. Excuse me, last year. And, uh, and the Lord, again, he used a passage in, in, in Luke where Jesus tells Peter, you know, go out a little ways. And once Peter does that, he says, now go out into the deep and drop your nets. Fisherman's life was Peter's life. He knew fish. He knew the sea. That's where he grew up. That's what he was familiar with. And it wasn't until he obeyed the Lord of going out a little bit, then finally God told him, go out into the sea and drop your fish, and drop your nets to fish. And to me that was okay. You've obeyed me up to now. You've been to college. You, 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 you've obeyed me so far. Now I want you to go out into a place you're familiar with and drop your nets and work for me. And that's what he used to, to, to confirm our hearts to country, to go to the people of Spain. And we just starting out two weeks in deputation, fresh, Fresh off the boat, not off the boat, but fresh off uh, um, green, I guess you could say. Uh, so we are working on getting prayer cards. They were just printed. They were delivered earlier than expected, so they went over up to my father-in-law's house in Connecticut. So I don't have any with me now, but I will get some to you as soon as we can. But please, please pray for us. Spain is very, very much a needy people. You heard the statistics. It's, it's 47, 47 million. It's about, it's like taking the... The population, the entire population of California and Virginia, and smash it into the whole state of Texas. That's pretty much the population of uh, what kind of constitutes the Spain. And we've got a long, hard battle because everyone there is tired of Catholicism. Everyone is tired of religion. They see the emptiness, and then they don't want anything to do with religion. They have nothing to do with God, which is with the forty-three percent of atheists is concerned. So please pray for my wife and I as we start traveling. Um, right now, I'm still working a job. We're getting things started so I can not work. We can travel more. Um, we'll be going up to Connecticut in October for a missions conference, and we have a couple other places. But again, thank you for, uh, for having me here. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. And please, 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 please pray for the country of Spain. Is there someone here who's willing now to listen to God's call? Will you be that one to lead the way and reach America for God? Go make a difference in this land we're living in, a nation filled with souls. Lost and in their sin, a thousand cities in view that are waiting for you. We'll make a difference in this world. I'll make a difference in this land we're living in. Lord, I'm willing to go where the gospel has not been. On the horizon I see 
people calling to me. I'll make a difference in this world. On the horizon I see people calling to me. Will you make a difference in this world? All right. Again, I want to thank um, Pastor Throworth again for the opportunity to be here. I don't take it lightly. And so I hope I'll be a blessing to you. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah for me. I'm going to ask you all a question. When I first, when I mentioned the name missionary, I want someone to tell me the first thing that comes to, the first name that comes to their mind, all right? One, two, three, missionary. Hire Livingston. Who else did I hear? Jonah. Jonah, yes. Paul. All right, now I'm going to say the word prophet, all right? Now you're going to give me your you're uh, the first prophet that comes in your head. All right? One, two, three. Prophet. Elijah. I heard a lot of Elijah. Samuel is definitely a good prophet. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to say martyr. Okay? The first thing that comes to your name when I say martyr. One, two, three. Martyr. Steve. Thank you. All right. All right. I just want to hear my name. That's all. <laughs> all right. Book of Jonah. As when, it, when it comes to, as far as missionary or prophet is concerned, I think we can look at Jonah and say, you know what? Jonah is the most sorry, most pathetic excuse for a missionary or a prophet you could ever go to. And we'll get there in just a second. Let's go ahead and jo- I'll read the first, the first two verses. Now that my message goes through the entire book of Jonah, but we'd be here forever if we read the whole thing. So we'll just read the first two verses. Chapter 1, verse number 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Let's pray this, mo- this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this wonderful day you've given us. Thank you for the ability to be able to meet here today, tonight, with freedom, Lord. And I know we don't want to take it lightly, and those freedoms are being taken away slowly. Help us to take advantage of it and, and help us to really not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Amen. All these things I ask your name. Amen. Tonight, we'll talk about lessons learned from a lousy loner. Lessons learned from a lousy loner. The story of Jonah is not uncommon to many people. There's even ancient legends and epics that tell of a man that was swallowed by a big fish and survived. The story of a man of God whose sole purpose was to relay the message of God to the people of God. He was what they call a prophet of God. This is someone who was respected for their communication with God whenever he had something to say. But unfortunately, as we see in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and many of the minor prophets like Hosea and Amos, those things weren't very good. Why? Because of disobedience. Jonah was one of, was one of the exceptions. If, we re, if you go back to 2 Kings, we see that Jonah, his prophecy on Israel wasn't one of destruction, which was many people was used to, but was one of restoration. 2 Kings, we see that Jonah had prophesied the restoration of Israel, and that came to pass. So here, Jonah is not suffering, if you will. Like Jeremiah, now Jeremiah suffered a lot. He was thrown in a pit of quicksand, of mud. Uh, Isaiah wasn't treated very well. Elijah was threatened and was run off. Elisha wasn't treated very well either. Jonah was treated very well. And, it's, and we see here, and I, I, I'm getting a little off track here, but isn't it interesting how it's very easy to obey God when things are going our way? Things are going Jonah's way. He prophesied something good, not bad. The king didn't hate him because he wasn't prophesying against the king. He, he had it good. So it was easy to obey God when he asked something for him to do. That was easy. But now we see here, he says, go to Nineveh. 
Nineveh had invaded Israel years ago. Under the uh, reign of Sennacherib, had come in and to Israel. This was someone that the Israel's Israelites absolutely hated. They 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 viewed them as monsters, and everyone else viewed Ninevites as even Babylon considered Nineveh to be a very powerful and wicked city, and that's that's big even for Babylon. Nineveh was known for their many wickedness, murders, their 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 brutality. And they, they we see if you go back and, and, and even some some old history writings, Babylon talks about how bloody they were. Nineveh, we see old Ninevite writings saying how they just lay waste on Babylon, just destroyed everything, women, children. They were known for their uh, gender fluidity. That's not uncommon, is it? Really? It's not, you know. Oh, I think we're seeing some of that. They were also known for their incest, their they, they were a very, very, very wicked city. And every time the Bible, if you look at Nahum, every time the Bible talks about Nineveh, it's a great city, but not in a good way. Great in wickedness. So, just a little background. It was hard for Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, am I saying what he did was wrong? Or right? Absolutely wrong. Absolutely not. Because... Never is a right to run from the Lord. Never. But sometimes it's hard to obey God. And some of the Israelites were to ask him, Hey Jonah, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Nineveh because God's going to have mercy on them. Excuse me? Nineveh? The one that came and destroyed some of Israel? Captured part? You know, that, that great, you're going to try and save them? That was a, he was known before as a prophet of, you know, restoring, restoring Israel. That, that would have put a stain on his name a little bit, right? Put a little mud in his name, a little dirt on his finger. That he, he didn't want that. But he had one job, just one, to take the message of God to the great people, to the great city of Nineveh. And it was a very important and imminent command. Why? Forty days until Nineveh is destroyed, unless you repent. It was a life-changing message, was it not? Was it not? Yeah. Them delivering that message, him that, delivering them the message, would have absolutely changed their lives. But unfortunately, Jonah refused to go. Not because he was scared, although that probably had a small part of it. But if we look back to the end of the book, we'll see later, he simply did not like them and didn't think they were worth saving. Aren't you glad Jesus came down and saw you as someone that was worth saving? Aren't you glad that Jesus looked down and had compassion on you and said, you know what? Stephen Lyons, I know he's not that great. I know he just, I know he, he, he kind of says things that are funny. He kind of thinks, he doesn't think right all the time. He kind of acts a little weird. But you know what? He's worth saving. I'm glad you say, you know, that pastor, pastor thrower, you know, he's, he kind of walks a little funny, kind of looks a little funny, but you know what? He's worth saving. And he said, and they looked at Victoria Lyon and said, oh, she's perfect. And, I'm, and she's worth saving. Aren't you glad looked down, God looked down on you and said, you know what? You're worth saving. But unfortunately, Jonah didn't see it that way. Right? He had a life-changing message, but didn't want to. Oh, Jonah, how could you? How could you, Jonah? This is someone's soul that, that hangs in the balance, someone's life, someone's family, and you need to refuse to go. How could you? Let me turn that around, right? We have a message, a life-changing message. And we go to the store, and that's someone's soul. You know, you go, you know what? I'm too busy. I, it makes me feel weird. I, they, they look scary, God. He's, he's twice my size. Look kind of scary. Wow. Jonah disobeyed the Lord. 
We see in verse number 3, For Jonah rose up to go. No, not to go. To flee. To flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the, from the presence of the Lord. Let's look at Jonah's disobedience and where his rebellious spirit took him. Alright, so if you're taking notes, number one, Jonah's disobedience drove him from God. The lesson learned there is disobedience, what? Drives you, not to, from God. The moment Jonah decided to disobey was the moment he ran from God. E even though he physically ran, but the moment he decided in his mind and in his heart, you know what, I don't want to do that, that's when he started running from God. The moment we decide, hey, I'm not going to do that, that's the moment we start running from God. It may not have to be physically, but the moment we decide that is the moment we start running from God. Number one, disobedience is a personal Deception. James 1.22, be, you heard, we read this this morning, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We read the Bible, we see ourselves, and we see what the Lord wants for us. He may not speak us directly like he did to Jonah, but he speaks to us directly through his word. And we read the word, and, and, and James, uh, James kind of says, it's like, it's like a mirror, and we read and we see ourselves, and the Lord says, you know, you need to do this with your life. Or oh, I want you to do this with your life. Or I want you to fix this in your life. Or I, I want to do this in your life. You just have to let me. And we look at it and you just say, you know what? I'm good. We're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving. Jonah thought he knew it was better. You know what? I'm going to go because it's better for me not to go. He thought he knew better. He was deceiving himself. Not, not only is it a personal deception, number two, disobedient is a pungent disgrace. A pungent disgrace. You ever watch, uh, how many of you ever went to like a, a public school or a, a high school, a sports school, right? You walk to the, men, the, the, the boys' locker room and it doesn't, doesn't smell too pretty, right? Uh, Sam, you've been to the, uh, the, the camp, right? You go on the boys' cabin, right? Smells great, doesn't it? Smells like rotten socks and... Smelly shoes, right? Exactly, yes. Doesn't smell very good. Ugh. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus' obedience to God the Father in sacrificing himself, Tim was a sweet Smelling savor. When we obey the Lord, to Him it's a sweet smelling savor. Now, let's flip it around. The opposite, right? The opposite of obedience is disobedience, right? So an opposite, opposite of sweet smelling savor is, yeah, whatever you can think of in your head, just think about that. that that's what it smells like, alright? It's a pungent disgrace. It's almost like a slap in the face. Uh, I'm not a parent yet. No, she's not pregnant. But I'm not a parent. So I wouldn't know this for sure. But I imagine, for those that are parents, you, you, you've worked hard, you work a job, you put a roof, you put food in front of them, and you make sure they're clothed and dressed, and their hair is just right, and, and their shirts are ironed, their pants are ironed, they're not coming up too much, and you make sure their shoes are tied, and they come up and say, okay, I want you to go clean your room. That's it. Clean the room. And they say, no, I don't want to. How's that feel? I can only imagine. I can't wait to know what it feels like. But I can only imagine. When God gave His Son for us and says, I'm giving you a second chance in life. I'm giving you an opportunity to live with me in heaven. And all I want you to do is give your life to me. It's not even that bad because I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of all of your needs. And we go to God and we say, I don't want to. I know, I know you sacrificed your son for me, but I don't want to. What does that feel like to God? Jonah did just that. Jonah did this. He said, you know what, God? I don't want to. 
Disobedience is a pungent disgrace. Number three, disobedience is a prideful decision. Jonah thought he knew what was better. You know, I can think of my plan. I can plan my day. I can plan my, my whatever. I don't need God telling me what to do. I've got, my, I've got my ducks in a row. Don't you touch it, God. I've got my ducks in a row. Psalms 10.4, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And we disobey, we're not even think God's not even in the picture for us. It's a prideful. We're putting ourselves above God. And as crazy as that sounds, you say, wow, that, see, that, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's pretty strong there. Well, yes. What happened when Saul disobeyed? Right? His entire kingdom was ripped from him and his descendants. God takes disobedience very seriously. Very, very seriously. So disobedience, number one, drives you from God. Number two, desertion drives others from God. We see here in, in chapter sorry, chapter one, verse number four, he, he, he's in this boat. He's not alone on this boat, is he? I'm sorry, but you and I can never be alone in this world. There's always someone watching you. There's always someone looking at you. There's always someone inspecting you. Jonah was not, as much as he wanted to be alone, he was not alone. Because on the ship, there were what? Mariners. Mariners, right? The captain, people, the sailors. Uh, but the Lord, uh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He got in the ship, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Verse number five. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to line it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and lay, and he was fast asleep. Somehow, some way, Jonah found a way to be by himself. There is a reason why in Hebrew it says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves. Because a man left to his own devices, if you put someone, they they, 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 they did an experiment, a psychological experiment. They put a man in a room by himself. They put soundproof walls, no windows, no doors, no light. He was deprived of his sight, deprived of his hearing, because the way the, the, the walls were padded, he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. He went in there about three days later, he started going insane. When we're left to ourselves, nothing good can come out of it. When we separate ourselves from Christian folk, when we separate ourselves from God, now, it's one thing to be alone with God, because Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? He spent time with God alone. But you spend time away from everything. Separate yourself from God and everything. Sooner or later, you're going to end up in a really, really dark and deep place. And Jonah found himself alone one more time. Because of Jonah's disobedience in his heart, this resulted in an outward action that affected those other than himself. He decides, number one, I'm going to disobey the Lord. Then he follows it up with physical action and brings others along with him to Tarshish. When we disobey, when we don't do what God wants us to do, we are going to drag someone with us. You all know the, the illustration of throwing a rock into the lake, right? You throw a rock to the lake, it makes the ripples. The biggest ripples are the ones closest to the rock. When we disobey, we affect those that are closest to us, our families, our kids, our close friends. Whatever we do affects whether right or wrong. And Jonah's disobedience, he brought others from God. Number one, we see his testimony was feckless. F-E-C-K-L-E-S-S. I had to do that because it made all my... All my, you know, outline start with an F. So I had to find something. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you what it means in a second. Feckless. To have something that has feck, if you will, has, means it ha- is efficient. It's effective. It, 
it, it is able to be used, something that is feckless, there's no production. There's no, there's nothing. It's, it's useless. Jonah's testimony was useless. He's laying in bed. Everyone crying out to their own God. People here in this world are crying out to their own God. Whether it be money, whether it be, whether it be women, whether it be fame, whether it be uh, whatever it may be, it may be actual gods as well. Like Buddhism, uh, Hinduism. They, they're, they're crying out to their own gods, but nothing is saving them. And then we got Joe in the bottom of the ship worshiping a god that can change the circumstance and he's not doing squat. They have a world out there that is looking for a purpose in life and looking to change their life some way, somehow, to have peace and contentment and fulfillment, and they can't find it because their cause don't give it to them. And we're here. We've got a God that can give peace, that can give fulfillment, that can give comfort, and we're asleep. And we're asleep. Matthew 5, 16, let, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Not you, not me. Oh, Stephen does such a good job. Praise goes to the God. Praise goes to God. Because when people see a God that works, that's something they can trust in. People see a God that shows himself real in somebody's life. That works. That works. But there are tries. The mariners tries to keep the ship afloat. What happens? The shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou will sleep or rise? Call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they cast lots. And we see, we, we reverse down. And remember verse number 10, and then were the men exceedingly afraid for, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled for the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, if the sea may come unto us? For the sea wrought and was, sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth to the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. Even these mariners who have their own God had enough respect for Jonah's life to not throw him off immediately. This, we, don't want to throw, we don't want to kill you. We'll just row our hardest. We'll just throw more, more, ship, more, more shipment aboard. Let's keep rowing, keep the ship afloat. But their tries were fruitless. Isaiah 64, what does it say? Our righteousness are as filthy rags. Turn with me to Titus 3.5 real quick. Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's a... This world is so desperately looking, doing anything and everything to be saved, but that of trusting in Jesus Christ. And how will they know if we don't tell them? How will the country of America know that there is a God that wants to save them? God here is telling Jonah, I want to save the Ninevites, but you have to tell them. I want to save them, but... They need you. There's people in our communities and people in our towns and cities and God's saying, I need my people to go out and tell them because I want to save them. Not only here, but the people of Spain, people of Portugal and Europe and Africa, Asia, South America. I want someone to go and tell them that I want them to be saved. I don't have to save them. I want to save them. That's why I gave my only begotten Son, John 3.16, so they may have everlasting life, so they don't perish. I want to save them. My people need to go 
I need to go. You need to go. The truth was figured out. The truth was figured out. Numbers 32 23. Be sure her sins will find you out. This was right after the, the spies came back, right? The 12 spies, you know, 10 were bad and 2 uh, ten were bad and two were good, you know. 10 of them said, we can't go in there. There's giants in the land. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, we can do, we can go. And Israel disobeyed and, nope, we're not going to go in there. And they wandered for 40 years. And Moses is giving them a message by God saying, hey, if you obey him, good things will happen. But if you disobey them, your sin will find you out. Jonah's sin found himself out. He was in a position where he had to say what he did was wrong. We, see, we saw in the verse, the mariners knew that Jonah was running for the presence of the Lord. They knew. The truth was found out. You know, sometimes it's weird that people in the world, people that are not saved, know more about being a Christian than saved people do. And they'll ask questions like this. Well, isn't a Christian supposed to do this? Uh, doesn't saved people, aren't they supposed to be this way? Aren't they supposed to go to church every time it's open? Aren't they supposed to be always happy and smiling? And aren't they? Now, it's not easy to be always happy and smiling. Sometimes, you know, people ask difficult questions and they act really difficult and it's really hard, you know, to be friendly. But then again, I guess, Lord loved you enough to die for you too. But sometimes unsaved people aren't Christians supposed to do this? I was working at a job and I don't cuss. I don't. I do say some words, not bad words, just different words. And I said one at work one time. My coworker said, is that what a Christian says? Oh boy. That pricked my heart. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. This may not be a cuss word, but it's it's not that's not the right word. So Lord, I need I need you to forgive me. Your sin will find you out. It found Jonah out. So they took up Jonah, verse 15. They took up Jonah and cast him forth to the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the midst of sin, God was still glorified. In the midst of Jonah's sin, these mariners and sailors made vows to God. In the midst of Jonah's sin, God still saved Jonah. What's that verse? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Now, that is not an excuse of saying, oh, well, the more I sin, the more grace I get. No, that's not what it's saying. Because we will sin at one point. Because we're human. It's inevitable. But when we have a heart and a mind say, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If they flinch us, forgive us our sins, and it cleanses from all unrighteousness. That's grace. That's grace. Disobedience drives you from God. Jonah's desertion drives others from God. When we run from the Lord, we bring others with us. Then we're going to kind of fast forward a little bit. Go to Jonah chapter 5. Excuse me, 4. Jonah comes to the city, gets, he gets in the fish, he, he says, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me, three days, three nights to belly of the Lord, he gets spit up. Probably smells pretty bad, pretty nasty, probably, uh, probably as bad as his dis- disobedient smell to God. Kind of almost, you know, it's, it's funny how that works. He comes to Nineveh, a wicked, wicked city. He's raggedy, he smells the acid from, his, from, the, from, from, the, from the whale just completely ate away his clothes. He comes in and people are looking at him weird. You're weird. 
You smell funny. You look funny. And he says, Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days if you don't repent. Now, I don't know exactly how he said it, but I can tell from chapter 5, sorry, chapter 4, verse number 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why? Well, let's go back one verse. Verse 10 in chapter 3. And God saw their works, the works of Nineveh, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. The reason why Jonah didn't want to go, because he knew of the grace and mercy of God, and he knew the love of God, and he knew that if he said something, they would repent. And if they repented, he knew that God would forgive them. Jonah wasn't someone who just who's new to the Christian. Jonah knew God. He walked with him. He knew. That's why he didn't want to go. And we see here Ninevites, I don't know how he said it. He probably didn't say it very nicely. Seeing how he reacted. Now, I'm not a scholar. I'm not saying this is kind of, not, I'm reading in between the lines here. I don't, I'm not saying this is true. He may have got up and said, hey, just so you know, you're going to die soon. Hope you're ready. You got 40 days. And they asked, well, what do we do? I don't think I'm going to tell him. I'm going to repent the Lord. What? Repent. I hate you, Jonah. What, what, what do I got to do? <clears throat> repent. If I do that, I'd be saved. Maybe. You know? I don't know. I don't know how you said it. But the Ninevites repented. From the king down to the lowest man, they sackcloth and ashes. They repented, a whole nation, because Jonah obeyed the Lord. A whole nation was brought to God, and he was exceedingly angry. He was discontent. He was discontent. Number one, disobedience drives you to God, drives you from God. Number two, desertion drives others from God. Number three, Discontentment drives God away from you. God can only work in your life as much as you let Him. He's powerful. Don't get me wrong. He created the universe. He created you. He's powerful. But He can only work in your life as much as you let Him. Number one, when we're discontent, His blessings will cease. This blessing bull scenes. Isaiah chapter 1. You guys are turn there. I'll be there. I'll get there real quick. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He's telling Israel, if you're willing and obedient, you will prosper. You'll eat of the land, but if you're disobedient, I'm taking my blessing from you. If you're discontent, no more. If we're discontent of where we are, God will pull His blessings out. Number two, not only will His blessings cease, but His peace will cease. His peace will cease. Again, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 48 Everyone here is looking for just a little bit of peace. In, in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 18, O oh, that thou hast, hast hearkened to my command, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. In verse number 22, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Here God is saying, If you had obeyed me, if you, if you had done what I said and hearkened to my commandment, you would have had peace like a river. You would have had the righteousness as the ways of the sea. If you would have obeyed me, I would have given you peace. Jonah didn't have a lot of peace afterwards, did he? He sat down, he got hot. Oh, it's hot. Then God... In his sin, God gave him grace again. Made a nice, shady, you know, 
plant for him, a gourd. And then he, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm here. Got shade. The next day, guess what? Worm comes, eats it, dies. And he's upset. And we see here in verse number 10, verse number 9, excuse me. After Jonah complains and said, it is, it is better for me to die than to live because of a dead gourd. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? This world doesn't know right from wrong. We say, oh man, they're acting like the world. No, duh. They are the world. They don't know how to act any better. Do I know how to act any better? I've been saved, right? And the carnal man can't discern the things of God, but the spiritual man can, right? When you read this, we, we, we glean and we say, wow, I know better. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We know better. They don't know better. No buskids come in, they're rowdy, they lie, they, they hit around, they're, they're disobedient. Well, they grew up in a world, a sinful world. They don't know any better. They need someone to love on them and to say, hey, I love you. God loves you and he wants to save you. But if we are discontent, his peace will cease in our lives. Last of all, his power will cease. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5 and we'll finish out there. Luke chapter 5. Peter is in the water. He's been fishing and fishing. and Verse number 5. After Jesus tells him, go on to the deep and drop your net. Simon says, sorry, uh, Jesus says, go out. Go out and drop your net. And Peter's like, well, we've been there. I'm a fisherman. I know these seas. Okay, Jesus? I, I know this. I've been here. There's no fish out there. Jesus says, go out. Obey. And Peter says, okay. In verse number five, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Just so you know, Jesus, I've been there all night. I worked all night. Nothing. Come but empty. Nevertheless, I said, okay. But you said, at thy word, I will let down the net. And what happened in verse number six? And when they had, done, they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. What was the difference? What was the difference from all night and now? Jesus made the difference. He said, Peter, you've been out there. Just obey me. And the power will come. Peter obeyed, and guess what? He has so much fish that their nest would break. So much. Wow. On the other hand, if he wouldn't have obeyed, said, You know what, Lord? I've been there. I worked. I've worked with these fishes. I can't get them. I've been out in my job. I've been out in my home, my family. I've been witnessing to them over and over. They just won't get saved. No one wants to listen to me. What's the point? She says, go with my power. You obey. And I will give you the power to have that fish, Peter. If we go in the power of Jesus' name, lives are changed. Many times we're quick to throw in the towel. God, I'm done. No more. I've been praying for my family member for 20, 30, 40 years. They just don't want to listen. I'm done. If we disobey, that power's gone. I don't know what became of Jonah. The Bible doesn't mention him anywhere else. But I think there was a reason for that. God's calling someone to do something. 
It may be going out as a missionary. You're never too old. I just had a, I was at Brother O'Neill's church. They just took out a missionary for support. This missionary is 87 years old. He's going to mission field. I'm 25. That's old for me. <laughs> wow. It may be just he's calling you to witness to a, a workmate. Maybe witness to a family member. Maybe he's calling you to maybe make up with the lost relationship. Hey, this relationship was broken. Maybe it wasn't your fault. But I want you to start making it right. Maybe it's something in our hearts. God's calling you, something small, calling you to maybe fix that little sin in your heart. He's calling. The problem wasn't that God didn't talk to Jonah. The problem was that Jonah didn't want to listen to God. And many times God calls us. Maybe even not. He may call us to places Far away places, closed places to people. But it can be as simple as God calling you to fix, the pers- fix a personal sin. Or fix a relationship that maybe had nothing to do with you. But the Lord saying, you know what? You need to fix that. Or try to fix that relationship. And we're saying, nope. I don't want to. I've done this long enough. They're not worth it. Well, you're worth it to God. Shouldn't they be worth it to you? Don't be like Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. Don't disobey. Don't desert the Lord. Do not be discontented. Why? Because God wants to use you. He could have used rocks. He could have used trees. But He chose to use you and me. God's calling. The question is is whether or not we will listen. That's right.